Hello, this is Matt Rome, worship pastor here at Glenelg Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, January 28th, 2024. Hey, everyone. I'm John Vanderbilt, the lead pastor at Glenelg Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the co-founder and executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor of Glenelg Bible. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level. Good morning. Morning, folks. It morning. Is a, it is a good morning. Kelly, where were you this weekend? Yeah, thanks for asking. Or, uh, more specifically, where were you Sunday morning? Sunday morning, I had the privilege of preaching at Community Fellowship. It's out on North Avenue and um, sits side by side with Wheaton Bible. Mm-hmm. Will Pavone's the pastor there. And he asked me to come preach for him. And Will and I have known each other for, I'm going to say, a decade maybe. And we just struck up a friendship and... Um, I think it's important for churches to be uh, partners in that respect. So what a privilege to be in the pulpit and, um, so super encouraging. What'd you preach on? Well, interestingly, he asked me to come preach on, um, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Mm -hmm. Of course, Mm -hmm. that was a week ago Sunday. So we, I, my schedule didn't work out for the actual day, but a week later I preached on right to life and the importance of life and God is the author of life. And so issues around, um, compassion, I actually tell a a story, a disability story and talk about, uh, God is, is a champion of life at all stages and ages, whether, you know, you're in the winter of life nearing death or you're in the womb. God is the champion of life. And um, both uh, quantity and quality. He came that we might have life and life to the full. So really enjoyed being there. Again, I, I think it's important that churches cheer each other on this way. Um, you know, I don't know that I get a whiff of competition between churches in DuPage County, um, but we could do better to, to f- support each other, mm-hmm. I think. The churches in the county, by and large, are so uh, are so large that they can um, cooperation is not as I don't know necessary. I mean, when you have a staff of thirty, when you have a staff of a hundred, um, there's a lot of internal um, interdependence, and so we could do better as a as a, a church in the county, uh, the Big C Church believers partnering so i was excited to go that's cool. thanks for asking john <laughs> you're welcome i know you're trying to dodge the kansas city chiefs discussion so <laughs> i just wanted to get it right you know yeah. right so, out of the gate showberg Schober, sorry did something happen showberg <laughs> it it did jim showberg preached over at poplar creek church he did terrifically um i need to listen to his message i heard it was really great it was good He's a missionary with us, um, coaches, church planters, and is, of course, he's got amazing stories, of course, you know, cool. as a missionary. He lived, I think it was for a decade, in the jungle of Ecuador, and he just talked about walking trails and how he miss, misses that lifestyle of being awesome. in the jungle and, and related it to the prodigal, so it was powerful. Great. All righty. Let's get into some questions. Um, the first one... <clears throat> And this sounds like it's for John. Um, and this funny thing is, you you kind of you kind of answered this question in your sermon, but that's fine. That's fine, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, man. People still um, have all kinds of questions. So, was the prodigal son saved and wandered from God, or was the prodigal son not saved and then came to God? 
does it matter? Uh, so I would, uh, maybe you guys have thoughts on this as well, but I'll take a stab at it. I did talk a little bit about this in my sermon, but not a whole lot. I don't think it matters whether the, I don't think the salvation of the sons is the centerpiece or the heart of the parable. Um, I think the father's love and actions and Jesus affiliating himself and connecting himself with that type of loving, loving response. So we can go down the rabbit trail. And I, and I did talk about the dangers and the pitfalls to interpretation of parables. We can go down the pitfall of saying every little piece of this has some major theological uh, uh, significance. So the ring is this and the coat is this and the father is this and the uh, older brother is the nation is the Pharisees and the son is the nation of Israel. All of that may be interesting and it could be helpful in, in teaching. I don't think that's what, what Jesus was doing. I think it's similar to when we parent and our child says, why? And we say, well, the rule is don't do this. And they go, but why? And you, then you, you use a story perhaps to say, well, let's say we're doing something like, you know, we're driving down the road. That's why I use my turn signal is to let people know where I'm going. Oh, so it's important to talk about where we're, you know, whatever it is. It's like, it's just a, 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 a way to illustrative go. Illustrative story. Yeah, it's, it goes along, parable means to go alongside. So anyway, I don't think it ultimately matters. I don't think Jesus was making a point about the soul state of the older brother or the younger brother. It could apply either way. If you want to use a framework where this is somebody who was not in the kingdom of God and decided to go, you know, squander and wild living and then and then repented and made their way back to the family and Christ runs towards them and welcomes them in. If you want it to be, if it's helpful for you to think of a prodigal being somebody that was in and a part of the, the family and saved and then drifted in their faith and found their way back to God, I think either one is powerful in understanding the core of the parable, which is he goes after the 99, or it goes after the one and leaves the 99. He goes after the lost coin. There's rejoicing, and he goes after uh, the lost son and is welcoming in the, in the son's uh, repentance. So, um, Yeah, I thought you did a great job setting up the chapter. We're really focusing on the tail end of the chapter, the lost son, but I thought you did a good job painting the picture of Jesus is trying to help the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are muttering yeah. uh, about his welcoming sinners and eating with them. I thought you did a really good job setting that up. This is about our understanding who God is, the way he, he looks for the lost, whether the sheep's parable or the coin parable or the son parable. That's who our father is. Um, and it's, it's comforting. It's supremely comforting. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I just I think that the parable is is getting to the heart of the father, yeah. and you know Keller Tim Keller um, preacher extraordinaire he's since passed away passed away last year but um, wrote a book that I'd highly rock, recommend titled the Prodigal God he's actually he's taken this parable it's historically called the Prodigal Son and he's named it renamed it the Prodigal God because he, his point is God's at the center of the story and his heart for those that would wander or need to come home. And this week we'll see that the older son 
mm-hmm. needs to decide if he's coming home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the, the first two verses of Luke 15 are so good. It was obvious in your preaching they ministered to your heart. It's so good. Because you settled there for quite a while. I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, The idea that Mm -hmm. the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are trying to indict Jesus, and they use the very thing that he wants to be known for. Oh, glad you brought this up. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your indictment. Thanks for noticing. That's what I'm trying to do. It's, it's inter- it's like somebody saying, you know, you know that Kelly Brady, he really reads his Bible and prays all the time. You're like, (laughs) yes. Like, you know, um, and I thought, you know, my, if I was Jesus, which I'm not, and, but, but, we do that when we read the scripture, like how, how did Jesus live? We want to try to live like that. I think my knee jerk reaction had somebody indicted me or said something about me would have been to like blow it up, you know, or like, yeah, I do. And you don't. Mm. And look at all these people out that are here following me that need, need repentance and look at what you guys have done. But instead he just tells these stories mm. that I imagine culturally were very provocative and um, stirred a lot of things in, in the community. Just a sec, Simone. Mm-hmm. Should we mention that there's a jackhammer outside the church? <laughs> is that what that is? I don't You'll know. be able to hear it. I yeah. definitely hear something. You'll hear it in the podcast. <laughs> Somebody's having dental work done across <laughs> the street. Wow. All right, go ahead, Simone. I, I just am so struck that um, also by verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And how to bridge that to a modern context? Yeah. Because I still, I feel like me, one of them, still struggles with, but it's sin. You know, like we're just, um, as if we're like labeling people or, you know, whatever. Um, and we can't get past the fact that it's quote unquote sin. But yet here, Jesus is very much modeling. I'm not, you know, he's not, um, he's not excusing sin, mm-hmm. no. but he's very much saying, well, I will eat and, and do life with them. And, yeah. um, and then, of course, these, these three different parables that he lists following the beginning of chapter 15, each of them strike me so differently, but the, I can see that the point is very similar. Um, and I really like in the... First, the first section of when he talks about leaving the 99 and going after the one. This is like a, a mantra for us at Naomi's house. We're constantly talking about how we've all felt as if we were that one before or other people. Like it's part of, you know, a journey of following Jesus that there are times where you're, you are that one and he comes after you. But I just love how in the example, he goes after the one, he leaves the 99 in the field. He goes after the one and it says, and he brings him home, mm-hmm. like on his shoulders, he brings him home. Um, so I know it's not, again, to your point, not necessarily trying to explain or justify salvation, but just that picture of going after that one. And he's, 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 it's right on the heels of them accusing him of right. being with sinners and right. not just being with them, but, and welcoming them, but eating with them. And to your whole point mm-hmm. about what that, what that means um, to have a meal with somebody. I didn't say it in um, second service because I got behind in my time, so I skipped over a slide and a little a, a teaching section, but I did do it in first service. Um, and I, I talked a little bit about what you said, Simone. I, I had, the slide says, Re- religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea of 
you know, what is it, the cart or the horse? Like, mm-hmm. do we need to get all like cleaned up and, and have it all sorted out? Mm-hmm. And then we come, then we can come to church. Mm-hmm. Then we can be a part of the people of God. Or is it, I'm an, I'm a mess. I need to come mm-hmm. and be with the people of God and, and, and find Christ. And, and then things mm-hmm. begin to, to change. It's, Christ wasn't accepting sinners and leaving it, leaving them there. Right. Praise God. Right. Mm -hmm. But accepting sinners and realizing transformation in your life is going to come through me, because of me, Mm -hmm. with me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think it's such a powerful picture and sometimes such a different way of how we interact with all, all three of these sections have a sense of celebratory mm-hmm. um, nature to them. Yes, yeah. and then there's celebration, not right. over the fact that they've repented and their sin is gone, right. but just that they've been, like you said, found and welcomed and brought back right. in. There's just that that analogy, that picture of and the, the Pharisees, and that's that's what happens. The, the celebration and the welcoming and the um, being being brought in, it being brought back in is what leads to repentance. Right. It's being accepted for who you are. Totally. That leads to life transformation. It's, and it's um, the Pharisees who thought they were going to be celebrated. Yeah. That's the, like the I didn't get them. into all this, but that's what they thought was happening. The Messiah would come and he would find all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and go, way to go mm-hmm. guys. You yeah. checked all the boxes. You did it. Mm-hmm. And that they would be risen, they would be, they would rule and reign and be celebrated um, because of their righteousness, he <laughs> says, uh, "No, it's yep. it's it's not not I'm, don't I'm, be righteous, right? right. I'm, but I'm going to celebrate with these folks over here. Yeah, the celebration <laughs> is really because the unrighteous now know how to be righteous. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's a. In this week, in the older son will will um, address or ask the question about mercy. So uh, there's a wandering son, and then there's a merciless mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. And, and we see that in the Pharisees' reality. Yeah, they fast twice weekly and pay a tenth of all they have in tithe, and they're merciless. Mm-hmm. Just so it's, yeah, he'd rather we be moral than immoral, uh, but no one is perfectly moral. We, we all need mercy and need to show one another mercy. I wondered, Matt, being up front, I saw you that you walked through the welcome. It was on the screen. What's y'all sense? Is that ministering to our to the congregation? Or, I love it. And I just wondered what's your sense? How do you yeah. think it's being received? Yeah, I, I, I thought it went really well. I think it's being received really well. I've gotten a couple of emails Good. from some folks like, hey, I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think... Uh, and tying it into the opening song as a, also a call not mm-hmm. just to be welcomed here, but to mm-hmm. engage and sing and remind yourself that you're a child of God. Yeah. Um, I felt like that was, that was a win. That was cool. Yeah, I would agree. Um, before we move off this question, I had somebody ask me <laughs> after um, first service. It's what you brought up, Simone, and it just triggered my mind, and I f- forgot earlier. Um, the idea that we would say even sinners mm. to like, you know, welcome in sinners, welcome sinners, eat with sinners, that there is, there are people that we categorize, just mm. this is kind of 
rudimentary as I'm going through it, I realized that we in the church would categorize as this group of sinners. It was the same thing that Jesus, that the Pharisees were doing, that there was this category of people. And I would say Jesus recognized there was this... Sick and healthy, so to Yeah, speak. He, he talks about it. That that insider language often does not go well mm-hmm. for the church outside of mm-hmm. the church. So if we were to see someone that maybe is outside of the church that doesn't know Christ, we would never go up to them and say, hey, you're a sinner. I'd like to welcome you in. Mm -hmm. Or even the way that we would communicate about Mm -hmm. a a category of folks that we would typically think are not following Christ, Mm -hmm. whatever that category in your mind. And so the person asked me the question of, so how do we navigate that? How do we, how do we, do a better job with insider language in an external question. context. Mm. I don't really have a great answer, mm. so I'm putting oh, it, it out to you guys. To me, I, I think that we need to, to be careful with um, our identification. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I understand that the Pharisees are labeling some as sinners and some as righteous. And in, on Sunday mornings, there are some that are moral and some that there are some that are more moral than others. And there are some that are more immoral than others in our, in this room. We're recording the podcast up on the platform in the worship center. So in this room, there are both highly moral and highly immoral folks gathered together, but we're all sinners. Right. And, in the balance of the parable, the older son is going to press us on that. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I get it. There are categories. Some are more moral than others. But I think that our identification as sin- sinners needs to grow. Oh, and, for sure. In other words, I think that's how we protect against insider acts, insider out, outsider nomenclature. I think if, if, we're, if we can be more careful and say to the person that we meet outside the church and say, hey, I'm a sinner. I recognize in your life, I see something that I can identify with. Mm-hmm. There's a sin there yeah, I was that broken. I've seen yeah. and experienced. I'm broken. Yeah. <laughs> Lead with your brokenness. Hey, I've got a place where sinners gather. Would you like to join me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't see myself ever saying that exact phrase. <laughs> exactly. I, and I, that's fair. No, I'm just trying, I'm trying yeah, to work with the, the categories. Yeah. yeah, It's not... It's, it's sort of similar to what we talked about last week about, do you remember we talked about how do you talk to your kids when they're little about their worth and their value and mm-hmm. how God's created them to do great things? Or do you talk to them about you're broken, you're a sinner, you need right. Jesus, and right. like how it felt a little like, which one? You know, I Grant had such a good answer Image to that. of God yes. discussions. Right. So right. You're if, made in the image of God, yeah. but it's, it's a broken, marred image because yeah. of the entry of sin into the yeah. world. So we have, there are twin realities. Yeah. There are twin realities mm-hmm. that... Christ is doing something in me and some of the sins I committed two years ago, I'm not committing right now or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm committing them less often. I, I see God's good work in my life. I am maturing. So I praise God for that, but I still see sin too. So I can't, the, the categories, and I like that you brought it up, John, the categories don't serve us well if we're using the categories to create insiders, outsiders. They actually serve us poorly because they prop up our flesh. Agreed. They stroke our egos. Yeah, the point, the point is whoever 
the point is we should be welcoming and eating with people. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Broken sinner people. Just like us. And identify in the prodigal son story, we're 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 all we're many of these characters. We've been the prodigal, we've been the brother, we've mm. been the dad. Yeah. You know, we can depending upon stage of life and yeah. what yeah. you've been through, like there's we can identify. Stage, with season, moment, yeah. week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> John, tell the story Day. of the red doors. Have we told that on the podcast? I don't think so. We so we've been doing some work, obviously, if you've been around on the idea of welcoming gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Uh, Kelly, you put up the book the other day. I preached gospel culture, gospel doctrine at PCC a couple weeks ago. And just laying the groundwork for some of that religion versus Jesus is a a big theme in that is who we are and welcoming as people. And in some of those discussions, we've been learning about um, uh, a historic tradition where churches would paint the doors of their church like crimson red. Blood, a, blood red, yeah. Blood red as a sign or a symbol that we enter all enter through the blood of Christ to it's come a, into a this place. It's a weekly reminder every time you dawn the doors. Yeah, and so if you, you know, if you Google, you know, church with red doors, it's really beautiful. It's just a really powerful imagery and a reminder for everyone that enters we don't enter on our own strength. We don't enter any different than anyone else. We all enter through the blood of, of Christ. That's why we're here. That's the only reason we're here is because of what Christ has done for us. And it's interesting that churches that have done this have, um, it's a really interesting way to say to uh, some newcomers or guests even, hey, you may have noticed that the doors of our church are red. Yeah. Here's why. Yeah. And it, you know, dovetails nicely with the the welcome that Matt read. It was new for me. It was news for me. I, I hadn't always, heard of it before either. Right. So these old, gorgeous, historic mm-hmm. stone churches having these red doors, I thought, well, that's beautiful architecture. And mm-hmm. some some designer slapped that red paint on there and it, it looks good, but it, yeah. it's actually theologically yeah. driven. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. I Googled it. Yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. There's some beautiful... Mm-hmm. Imagery of it. Uh, so powerful. if the doors end up red at Glowing Bible Church, y'all, you guys don't know why. <laughs> Didn't we have dripping blood one time? <laughs> we did. Wait, for real? <laughs> well, it was red paint. It's a joke. It was They're a Black laughing. Friday. It was Black Friday, right? Or I mean, a Good Friday. Black Friday. We sell TVs here for 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Free can so, of red paint with every purchase. Oh, man. <laughs> There's a joke. I had invited my neighbors to church. They didn't have a church home. And they come. Oh, the first no. service they come is Good Friday. Mm-hmm. And they had little children, <laughs> but they didn't. Anyway, it was Good Friday. And I was very explicit. This is just paint. There were children in the service. It's just paint, kids, but this is what they did. Well, it apparently freaked out my neighbor's yeah. children. They never came back. Now, the good news is... <laughs> Pastor Kelly's sloshing blood around in the church. <laughs> the good news is oh. they settled in in another church, and they're doing That's well. Great. That's yeah. great. <laughs> Scared them right into another church. The good news oh, is... Oh, man. The good news is they went home and set up their 12-foot <laughs> skeleton from Home Depot for Halloween. Gosh, that's <laughs> exactly. Uh, Anthony and I got a wedding gift. I had totally forgot about it to this moment. A friend had somebody paint us a picture of Jesus on the cross, and there were blood droplets. Oh. Like it was a little graphic. I couldn't. I'm sure there's some lovely art that I do not appreciate, but 
Um, As a wedding gift, huh? It was just too much. I couldn't put bloody Jesus in my <laughs> living room. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. I know. Maybe I'm still such a sinner. No. Anyway. There's probably something in between bloody Jesus and surfer Jesus. Yeah. That's true. That, that might make some sense. <laughs> homeboy, homeboy Jesus. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, it seems like nearly every family has a prodigal. Why is that? How might we reach the prodigals in our family? Mm-hmm. That's big. We had, um, for the last three weeks, we're in this season of prayer and fasting. It ends, ends Wednesday, so thanks for everybody that's participated. Uh, we've been gathering on Sunday nights, 6 to 7, to pray in person. It's re- been really good to be in person. Last night, there was a, a real emphasis on praying for prodigals. Go yeah, figure. Sure. Um, and um, so it was, it was a beautiful time. Um, it was interesting to hear... Um, families pray for one another. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is um, some of these families had known the children in other families since birth. Wow. So some of the people present had been present for 30 plus years and had known some of these kids and just the passion and the investment. You know, we dedicate children on the platform uh, twice a year here at Glenn Bible Church and we commit as a congregation to walk with one another um, in the process of parenting. And it was just, so it was beautiful to see folks praying for one another and the prodigal experience. You know, there is no, I'll jump in, John, sorry. No, I just, There's I'm, no cookie cutter recipe for raising kiddos. If there were. Um, say that again. Yeah, there is no, every parent, and frankly, offering parenting advice is the, the most difficult thing, I think, or one of the most difficult things I do because Every parent is different, different experiences, different uh, gifts, different strengths. And then every kid in every family is different. And just offering that type of coaching is ripe for trouble. Yeah. And so I offer parenting advice with great hesitation and caution. I, it was interesting after both services. I mean, I'm like in first service, I, I cried like crazy, but I was looking out and seeing, and I was thinking of my, in my own life, prodigals in my, my own life, and just, you know, mm-hmm. thinking of the, the goodness of God running down the road, mm-hmm. you know, calling your dad, that whole, mm-hmm. what, what kind of relationship and what kind of church do we want to be and all that. Religion says, yeah. I goofed up, my dad's going to kill, kill me. me. Yeah. Jesus says, you goofed up, come home to your father. Right. And what kind of father do I want to be for my kids? Yeah. And it's just all the, it's all ripe for, you know, yeah. ugly cries. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Um, <laughs> but I had a lot of folks come up and communicate just the, um, a couple things. So first, that there, there often is a belief, whether it's voiced or not, that if you do ABC in your parenting with your children, it will produce a righteous child who will never mm-hmm. wander and how dangerous that kind of philosophy is. So always do, you know, devotions every night, prayer. Every night. I'm not saying those things are bad. So hear me very mm-hmm. clearly, mm-hmm. but they don't produce something every time, all the time, you know? And so, um, and then the amount of guilt and shame mm parents have felt because then it must be a reflection on them that they didn't do A, B, and C correctly. Mm-hmm. 
weren't invested or they didn't do it at all or whatever, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Now, granted, there are things that um, have shown that children tend to have a growing relationship with Christ if they experience certain things, right? Oh, absolutely. So we can't discredit all of it, but... It's, it's proverbial, meaning it, it has truth to it. It's better to pray with your kids than to skip prayer. Right. To, totally. Right. And have other have mentors in their lives that shape... You know, there's right. all sorts of things, but um, the, the some m- multiple folks were talking about an era of, you know, read this book, follow this curriculum, and you'll have these amazing godly children. And then when it doesn't produce that, you know, just this well, there's guilt a curriculum titled "Growing Kids God's Way." Yes, right. Th- yes, there's all sorts of things. I must have missed that one. Um, and so, and then, uh, so there's that. Then the uh, some of the idols in our culture are our own children, and so to admit that our kid has done something wrong or is a Falled out, you know, fallen away or done of that is like, we would never, we would never confess that, because our children are what we our focus sense of on righteousness and, is tied directly yeah, to. And I'm not saying again that caring for our kids and giving them great opportunities and investing in their lives is bad, but we all know that there is a disproportionate amount of. Um, worship of our children and their experiences and their extracurricular activities and their academics in our, our culture. I think we've all felt that. I mean, I've, I've felt it. So I didn't hammer it hard on, hammer's not the right word, talk about it much on Sunday, <laughs> but just the idea of, man, I want so badly for our church and our small groups to particular to be places where we can say like you know Susie is so it's so hard I we are broken as parents trying to care for her Mm. and the decisions that she's made and what she's doing and where she's going and it's just you know it's just a it's just such a it was a blessing it I do think we have some of that at Golan Bible Church where we're transparent about our failures as parents and our longings, our desires for our children. And I thought it was um, present last night in our prayer time, just admission and, and heartbrokenness. Um, I run a group for uh, parents of LGBTQ kids, and there are about five churches represented in the group. Um, and the, the most beautiful part of it is, is the parents uh, caring for parents who feel immense amounts of um, guilt, shame, yeah, remorse. They feel, yeah. Un- yeah. So they, they feel low. Mm. They, they feel they hurt for their children. And then they, they, they've lost, um, you know, maybe that their identity was too closely tied yeah. to their kids' success mm-hmm. or their kids' functionality, uh, mental illness. In the LGBTQ community, they're almost um, correlated, or mm-hmm. so there. There's a lot of mental illness, and so a lot of these parents are trying to walk their kids through mental illness struggles, and it's just it's a heavy, heavy, heavy burden, and it's beautiful to see these families pray together and 
need yeah, to be a part of that. We overemphasize and underemphasize. Yeah. It's just like anything, right? We yeah. overemphasize the role of a parent, and then sometimes we underemphasize yeah. mm-hmm. the role, you know, that there are situations where, yeah, we didn't get it right as a parent. Yeah. Others, you know, so. Well, let's take, let's try to, let me try yeah, to answer go. the question. Let's say you are an excellent parent, and we have some excellent parents in our church, and that mean, by that I mean you're making disciples at home. You're, you're actually, you're a highly functional, emotionally healthy person, and you are uh, teaching your children what it means to follow after Jesus. Uh, the truth still is that God has no grandchildren. He has only children. In other words, the spirit, they, our children can't be Christians by their relationship with us. They must have their own relationship with Christ. So that means they must become children of God. They must uh, submit, uh, confess, depend upon Christ. Um, And so different children have different paths. Even if you're a highly functioning, emotionally healthy parent who has done a good job uh, demonstrating what it is, to follow after Christ, these our children have to um, be wooed and cared for by the Holy Spirit. Yep. And so that's the primary prayer is that that they would know a loving God there, um, and that, that they would know the Lord, the Lord's joy and care. I was just thinking, like, just directly to the question. Um, it seems like nearly every family has a prodigal. Why is that? I, I was just reading Matthew seven. This is Jesus talking, and this is. This is difficult. This is difficult to hear and difficult that Jesus said this, but this is what he said. Enter through the narrow gate mm-hmm. for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And that is true for our children as well. And that's a tough reality, but that's, that's what Jesus said. Now, the encouragement is what he said a few verses earlier. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened uh, to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Mm-hmm. So that's the hope, right? Like, like anybody can ask, mm-hmm. and, and the door can be opened. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's going to be a narrow path. As for the the tail end of the question, how might we reach prodigals in our family? I like the notion, well, obviously prayer, but I also like we need to demonstrate that coming home is the best way to live and the best place to be. Um, There needs to to be an evidence in our lives that we are at ease being at home with our father. Um, Mm. I have two things to say, unrelated, sort of related. (laughs) See if I can remember both. This is going to be a challenge. First, I love your reminder that praying for the prodigals in our family is so important. And from my experience, praying for something wholeheartedly, you know, just passionately because I want something so many times for me personally is not about me convincing God to change his mind, but it's about me having a soft heart to his plans that are way beyond what I could understand or comprehend. So I just feel like it's a reminder that, you know, consistent and faithful prayer, even if we attempt to make it transactional, 
is not transactional. God, God has his sovereign plans laid out before us before the end of time. And prayer for me helps me um, stay grounded in his sovereignty as opposed to, I can still beg for him to do something. Um, but in that process, it changes and softens my heart. So I just wanted to throw that out there for anybody who's frustrated that they've been praying for a long time and not getting, you know. So good. Yes. Yeah. There was a second one and I told you it'd be a challenge for me to, oh, I know. It's very, it's going to blow your mind. So hold on a second. Um, <laughs> parenting well, that's is, a setup. <laughs> parenting is the hardest thing in the entire world. Yeah. It is so, so hard. And I love, this is like such great parenting advice and reminders that you're all sharing. And I think one of the reasons why it's been so challenging for me, and I don't know if anybody else will identify with this, it's like watching yourself as a little person on so many levels. Like for me, I feel like that's what's so frustrating about parenting is because you want to say, listen, kiddo, I have been in your situation to just listen to me and I will protect you and I will guide you so you don't make the same mistakes. And the kid says, oh, okay. Oh, I, totally. I didn't know that. Sorry. Mom, <laughs> I had it all backwards. You're Sorry. such a genius. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and so <laughs> one of the best things that I've read and have had conversations with about, about parenting that's been very helpful to me that is, I'm far from mastering is that when your kids do or say, or don't do or don't say something that's frustrating to you, or it could be way more than frustrating. It could flat out make you want to go crazy is to stop. And this is so hard to do. So I'm like, I feel like I have a right now, but to stop and ask <laughs> Like, why is this bothering me? Why is this triggering me or whatever you want to call it? Because most of the time, it's something in your own life mm -hmm. that you haven't dealt with or you haven't surrendered or you're, mm -hmm. you haven't turned from. And although your heart in the right is in the right place wanting to protect your kids, there's nothing wrong with that. But to your point earlier, Kelly, like we cannot save our kids mm -hmm. and the older they get, we cannot make their choices for them. Yeah. And so when they're making choices and they're doing things that are outside of the values that you've worked so hard to teach them, recognizing that when you're frustrated or discouraged, maybe that's a more accurate word. Like I've, there have been many times I've been discouraged by the choices my kids have made. Um, I have to go internal and ask why? I mean, of course I want what's best for them and I want them to love Jesus, but do I also care too much what other people think? Do I also care too much about how other people are perceiving my, how we're raising our kids and our family? There's, a, it's usually layered. Mm -hmm. And I have found a lot of freedom in asking that question for myself um, when, so, when parenting just gets to be hard and discouraging and frustrating. Yeah. And then, okay, last thing. And then when you share that with other people, you recognize you're so not alone. Oh, totally. You're so not alone. I mean, the Vanderbilts make me feel better all the time about all the times they've blown it with parenting. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, quick, we're quick to confess and admit. Yeah, I mean, you, you may convince your kid to not date that person and date the other person. You may convince your kid to buy this car, not that car. You may convince your kid to go to the right college that you want, but you will not convince them, like, salvifically mm -hmm. to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like yeah. you can surely be used in that effort, mm -hmm. but like that does not hinge on you. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like it does, man, that's going to be rough. Yeah. Like you, you're in for a hard ride. You're mm -hmm. in for a hard ride. And it is, it is hard. I, I mean, I see the, the, the seeds being planted in my kids as they're 12, 10 and six. And I see their hearts growing for the Lord. And I think about it sometimes mm -hmm. like, wow, what if, 
what if one of these kids does wander and walk away from the faith? And what would that be like? How would I handle that? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and I got to remind myself that I, you know, we're still going to show, not just talk about Jesus's love, but show them the love of Christ. And we're going to try to model uh, our submission to Christ mm-hmm. above all. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, you guys answer to us right now, but we answer to God. Mm-hmm. And then one day you will answer to God. And there's, there's a structure here, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so they see us submitting, even though we're, they're called to submit to us for some things. And, and we try to model that and then and, and pray and, and hope. And I do and think... It's difficult. Yeah. I do think there was intentionality in... Christ's parable that he talked about two sons because I think he's connecting with even parents in the ancient Near East that they realize that we're not just talking about children, period, that there's actually uniqueness in our, in our children. And this is something that it's been interesting and something I didn't think about I would learn. But just like Simone and I have similarities in our relationship with Christ, there's some massive differences in our relationship with Christ. What touches you uniquely and me uniquely and what we need, you know, how that relation, just like everybody we know has unique, our kids are in the same way. And so maybe one kid is a little bit more defiant, difficult, asking different questions. Another kid is like gifted with faith, which is a spiritual gift. Like they just, yeah, I'm in. And so my point is that we need to recognize and acknowledge that just like we all come to, to faith and have a relationship with Christ that's unique and different while having some similarities, mm-hmm. th- the same is true in our kids. And we, it's so hard and dangerous to compare as a parent, especially in things of faith, because we wind up saying, well, why can't you just be like that kid or do like that kid or what? You know what I mean? It's, it's true. It happens. I mean, yeah. we wrestle with it and we're not making cookie cutter children. Or, or like, man, look at the, look at that, the, that family's kids, the fruit, like they just have hearts for God. Like right. their marriage must be amazing. Right. Their marriage must be so much better than my marriage. Their right. marriage must, they must never do X, Y, and Z like right. we do. They must, I mean, we just make these assumptions and we compare ourselves with right. not just comparing kids to kids, but we compare ourselves with, right. you know, and then maybe, Hey, we should conform to what they're doing. You know, right. It's like, and it goes back to, it goes back to, we over and under emphasize sometimes the, the role of, you know, I, I heard people say, well, you to other, you know, you just got lucky cause you got really good kids. It's like, well, Oh, I hate I hate when people say that. No, no one's and ever then, said that to me. And then, oh, or or I'm sorry, you just you know you got a tough one there. It's like, well, maybe they didn't really. Do, you know, yeah. We can't. We need to be careful what we over. Yeah, and can empath- we just not judge each other's behaviors? Totally, and our kids' behaviors. That'd right. Be nice. I think if there's good things going on in a in a home and a family, we should model totally. it. If there's yeah. not, then we should yeah. cast it aside and try mm-hmm. something else. It is very encouraging when other people point out to me something they saw in my kid. It means so much to me. So I do, I think 
as much as I say don't judge, but like when you do see kids doing great things to point it out and to tell their parents, it's very encouraging. I mean it. You need to check your heart in that too, just like you do when it doesn't go well. (laughs) Can we not praise God for fruit? (laughs) (laughs) Makes me feel so bad when they do wrong things. It makes me feel so good when they do right things. Oh, I, so I enjoy. It's so true. I'm yeah, laughing yeah. at myself. I enjoy I'm, hearing about the comments uh, to Jennifer sometimes when she's out with the, uh, with three boys. Like, oh, three boys, huh? <laughs> you got your hands full. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I wasn't taking credit for their. <laughs> <laughs> Just thankful. I'm laughing at you. I'm laughing at you. <laughs> I know. I'm like processing. I thought right. number two. Uh, uh, next yeah, one. Yeah. Next one. Uh, how do we keep from becoming like the Pharisees? You know, my only thought here is that it, the Pharisees um, loved the law. And it, it challenged them and they stepped to the mark and they, they worked hard to keep the law, which is great. Um, this... I made a little video that'll go out to the church today saying thank you for everybody that participated in the season of prayer and fasting. And, and in the video, I said, hey, if you tripped at the starting line, if you gave this a shot, it didn't go well, don't get discouraged. Get up, go again, try again. My point is, when we look at the law, I understand that it challenges us. The law is challenging. Have no other God before me. Law number one, the first of the Ten Commandments. Um, The bar is really high. Um, Let the law humble you. Mm. See how difficult parenting is. It's difficult to bless another human. It's difficult. Um, So generally speaking, mercy was missing from the pharisaical worldview because humility was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and great, mercy and grace, right? Yeah. So I, it's, it's hard. Um, I am so easily puffed up. I'm so easily, my ego is so easily enticed. The good news is humility is supremely rewarding. So, um, although I'm, as I'm humble, or when it happens, when I have a humble moment, it, it is a blessing. And so they can add up. Let the law humble us. When we look at Scripture, let it humble us. I, I wrote a note on here, just accountability, which is a, a tricky word in, the, in church. I don't always... Well, anyway. This this idea of creating a culture of confession and then challenge a spot where we, we have the ability to talk to each other about where we're coming up short, where we're sinning, where we're judgmental, where, you know, and then being able to challenge each other in that too, to keep us humble, reminded of, you know, who we are in Christ. I think if we get into a situation where we're only running <laughs> with people I don't know. Does that, am I making sense? Like mm-hmm. we just need people in our lives that are real with us and we yeah. can be real with them. You go first. Just <laughs> yeah. All right. Last one. Last one. I wonder what the 21st century comparison to first century eating together might be. Mm. I love this question. 
Yeah, so John, John talked a little bit yesterday about the significance of Jesus eating with sinners. He didn't just you right. know, roll up and just have a quick meal. and, and right. It actually had cultural impl- implication. Yeah. Implification. Implications. Implications. Right. And I, yeah, I didn't get into all the details. There's this whole cleanliness routine that was a part of eating that was this religious. Entering someone's house. Yeah, religious thing. And it was all, there was all these unique parts. And we see these glimpses of meals taking place in, in in Old Testament and New Testament. And we get a feel somewhat of like what that was like and how different that is in in our culture, uh, cl- clearly food is still a big deal. Eating together is still a big deal, but it's, it, there's a different feel um, feel to it. And I think of, you know, what are the places in my life where I wouldn't let people normally in? Mm-hmm. And I think of like, who do I involve in my, like in my free time? Like, who do I... Um, who do I bring closer into like things I enjoy? Who do you invite I, to your holiday parties? Yeah, right, right. You know, and, and I think of people, you know, and the things that I, you know, neighbors that like go on a fishing trip together, you know, it's like, I mean, that's kind of that next level of like, they're in my, they're in my, my space, <laughs> my, mm-hmm. my free time, the, who I really am and what I really enjoy. And, and now I've brought people into it that um, are not just, you know, people I hang out with at church. I don't know if that's. I think you're spot on. I don't know if there's a one for one comparison. Um, the culture, the American culture is pretty informal and there was a high formality around first century. These, the, 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 um, there was a, a stratification of um, authority that isn't quite present in the first century world, uh, the 21st century world that we live in. So there's not as much formality. Um, so I think you're spot on. Who do we invite into our down moments, into our home, into our free time? Um, what health club do we choose? Why do we choose it? Is it because it's the place to be or is it the cheap place? You know, I think we could ask each other, ourselves those questions. Um, where do I shop? Why do I shop there? Anyway, mm-hmm. I think it's important to, to make room uh, for everyone in our lives uh, and, and be at ease around both around everybody. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I, you know, I've had times in my life when um, I have thought to myself, what if someone sees me here? Will they understand? Like a McDonald's? Uh, <laughs> that's a funny stand-up routine. <laughs> I don't eat here. I'm using the ATM. <laughs> yeah. I, we won't go any further. With that. Yeah, that's a funny stand-up routine. But the... <laughs> You know. I think I think I do think that there there can be an eating sure um, element You're taking sure. somebody to eat that you would not normally go to a restaurant with and eat with hmm. that's outside of your kind of social norm. Now we informally eat with people all the time. I mean, let's grab lunch, let's do this to to just get to know each other because it is a more informal culture. But I do think that there's times when um, 
there are people that we could invite to a meal mm-hmm. um, and sit with them and actually listen to them, care for them. Um, and it's, it's particularly, uh, it speaks to this, this uh, parable, this reality, if we're inviting people that are living a different lifestyle than we're mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. and uh, maybe um, having a different faith. Uh, so we can bridge that gap mm-hmm. and, and take Jesus in, into a different place. That's what the Pharisees were refusing right. to do. It's making me think of like having a relationship with somebody for the sole purpose of um, serving them, not asking the question like, what's in it for me? Because mm-hmm. so many times I think that's where I just naturally go to is, oh, this would be a mutually beneficial relationship or friendship and being able to put that aside and just love someone for who they are. Yeah. Nothing about what I'm going to get out of it. I'm not really good at that. Mm. Well, it's, it's a time. Mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the thing that we value, uh, one of the things that we value most in our lives is, is our free time, is our time. What, we, what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. We feel like we don't have enough of it. We feel like we squander it. We have a lot of kids demanding it. Totally. <laughs> There's so many demands on our time. And I, you know, I could go spend time taking, you know, some, there's, you know, like a homeless person that I, you know, you bump into and say, hey, dude, are you hungry? Let's go grab a burger. Or I could do that with my kid who I want to spend time with Mm -hmm. that I haven't connected. You know what I mean? There's just so many demands on our time. And so how do we stop, slow down, see others, care for others, make space for it, make time for it? People the, that aren't just like us. Yeah, the care center, mm. I love the work they're doing. They, are, they worked really hard to shift from a culture of we are going to serve the people that come, our guests that come to the care center, to there's this uh, increasing openness to mutual influence. We're going to let them serve us as well. Um, so there is a give and take relationally, which I think is valuable. Mm-hmm. That instills a lot of dignity yeah. <clears throat> to the other person. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate to text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and then also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning in on the next level. Boom. Prophecy.